0: Let's transition now into uh, the word of God. We're stepping into part two of our series, Through Heaven. I'm excited for what God is revealing to me and just a joy. I-, I think the more you study the things of heaven, the more excited you get for heaven. The more you understand, wow, we really, really win at the end. But let's pray and we'll jump right into today's message. Father, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in this church and just new life and, and, Father, new joys that we're being able to participate in. We love you and that you so made it that we can find you in salvation some point in our lives. We thank you that you have blessed us with the word of God, that we can constantly hear the voice of God and hear correction, hear uh, uh, encouragement, be edified in you and strengthened in your presence. And now as we talk about the things of heaven and what we have to look forward to, we ask your blessing on the preaching of the word that you go before us and speak a word to each and every heart, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, on the third story hallway of the White House, there's a lot of great paintings and historical articles and so forth, and there's a glass case with a stuffed pigeon. We have a picture for you here. It's a stuffed pigeon, and his name is President Wilson. And it's very interesting. He only has one leg, and I'll explain that in just a second. But we all know that there are pigeons out there that have been trained to be homing pigeons in which you tie a little message on their ankle, and you send them off. And wherever they are released, they can go immediately to that place that they are trained. Well, this particular pigeon was used in World War I. Back before they had reliable communication via radio and telephone and so forth, they actually relied on these type of pigeons to communicate vital information. Now, you know, if you're in war, the most important thing to have is communication. If the enemy can take out your communication, you're lost, you're in a very dangerous place. And so on one morning, I believe it was uh, in October in the early 1900s, Uh, There was a group that was being surrounded and attacked, and they needed desperately artillery support. So all they could do was tie a message to this bird, and they released him. And on his 25-mile journey, he was shot at multiple times, clipped a wing, was struck in the chest, and even lost a, a foot in this battle. But he made it all the way, and with determination, this pigeon actually made it to his destination. Even the gunfire did not stop him or deter him, and he was able to save the lives of that entire troop. And so they they commemorated him and got him taxidermied, and now he's standing forth as a testament to what animals could do even in wartime. Now, these pigeons are pretty amazing because no matter where they are in the world, that you can release them, and they have this built-in GPS I mean, I still struggle with Siri all the time. I was, I was on my way to a basketball game the other day, and she said, take the exit. And I said, Siri, there's no exit. And we just kept going, and she rerouted us. You know, we can't even depend on that technology. But these homing pigeons, no matter where they're at, they will always go back to where they have been trained. I mean, the longest journey ever was a 7,200-mile journey from France to Taiwan. I mean, it doesn't matter where in the world they will go to where they have been trained to go, what they call home. And it's pretty amazing. We see these these, uh, pigeons all the time, even in uh, funerals and weddings. You know, when they do those white dove releases, those are actually albino pigeons. And so the trainers, they can release dozens of these birds, but they know those birds are going to fly right back to his home. Well, that's... If it 's done correctly, I saw a viral video one time where this, this brother had a white dove, and he was going to release it, and he 's at a grayside funeral, and he 's like, "Just like this dove here, her soul will be flown into the depths of heaven, but he was holding that dove just a little too tight. So he says, "Fly away," and just went thump." And you see everybody like, oh, <laughs> in the funeral, like, it doesn't always work that way, but that's how it should. That's how it should. But they, these birds, it's amazing how they have this internal God-given ability to always find home. And see, in the same way, I believe that every believer has this heartache, as we talked about last week, that eternity has been placed in the hearts of believers, And that no matter what we face in life or where this crazy journey of life takes us, what we encounter on this side of eternity, there's something built into us that longs for home, that wants to be in the presence of God, that wants to see him face to face. And we have this incredible motivation of heaven, not just to receive our mansions and our rewards, not just so that we avoid judgment because of the things we have done on earth, but we have this motivation that one day for all eternity, we will be in the very manifest, physical presence of our Lord. I want to read to you this morning in Second Peter chapter 3, just a couple quick ones. Uh, and you don't have to turn there. We'll have it on the screens here. But beginning in verse 10 of 2 Peter 3, and the title here is the new heaven and the new earth. says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which heaven will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. So we have this call from, from God that we should be anticipating heaven, but it's not kind of just like survive until it comes, you know, or or just tolerate life until finally we can be in heaven. Because I think there's this little temptation that says, well, heaven, I'm going to be there for all eternity. And earth is just like a mist. It's here and gone. So I'm just going to kind of put myself in autopilot, cruise control, and just tolerate what life brings to me. But I love the, the call that we have to give God our everything while we're still on earth. The only thing we can't take with us is other people. And so we have the joy of partnering with God to bring souls and to to populate heaven. And we have such an amazing thing to look forward to when this season of our lives is over and we transition. So today we're continuing the series that I've titled The Sweet By and By. And today we'll talk about what we will do in heaven. Last week, if you were with us, we discovered what heaven is all about, what heaven looks like. And we saw that heaven is actually going to be a real physical place It's not this ethereal, imaginatory, symbolic place, you know, that we'll we'll kind of be in. No, it's a literal, physical place, a new heavens and a new earth. Many pastors have said that the new heaven will be a resurrected and a remade earth, much like God originally designed when he created the Garden of Eden. Then we all get a new body. And we can look to Jesus when he was resurrected and he had a physical body where he ate with his, his disciples, where he walked and talked with people and, he, and people could see him. We will be given a new body. My new body in heaven is going to have a six-pack and some incredible pecs and all that too, you know. And we will never get tired. We will never grow weary. We will never be sick. And we will have this incredible overwhelming joy and power that we have being in the presence of God. But today, I want to focus on what we will do in heaven, but also the preparation and the expectation we should have for eternity, even right now. And last week, I quoted um, an atheist who said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the afterlife. But if I did, I would much rather prefer the torment of hell than the absolute boredom of heaven. And still to this day, even believers don't have an idea of what we will do in heaven. And how similar some of the things we will do in heaven are to the things that we're doing on earth. Because we're absolutely going to be busy in heaven. And I think that's a joy to me. Because I think sitting on a cloud playing a harp for all eternity would be like the worst thing for this guy who has ADHD. You know, I want to be at work. Even in paradise, I want to be at work. And so today we're going to look at what we can see and experience and do while we're in heaven. So I'm going to read one of the most famous portions of a future look on heaven, and that is Revelation chapter 22, and I'm going to read the first five verses. Again, this is the vision that the apostle John had when he was brought up, and multiple places in the book of Revelation, we see that uh, he's given glimpses of heaven and what it will look like, and then the charge and command to write it down so the believers could be encouraged. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, then he showed me a river of the water of life, "'Clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God "'and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. "'On either side of the river was the tree of life, "'bearing 12 kinds of fruit, "'yielding its fruit in every month. "'And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. "'There will no longer be any curse, "'and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, "'and his bond servants will serve him. "'They will see his face, "'and his name will be on their foreheads, "'and there will be no longer any night, And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Now, this is just a a quick little glimpse of, of what heaven is like. But even in just these few verses, we see that there's trees and trees that actually produce fruit in its month, in its season. We see that we are called bond servants. Not chubby babies playing a harp on a cloud. We're called servants even in heaven. It says that we will reign while we're in heaven. So there's multiple things here that is describing. There's going to be activity. There's assignments that we're going to have even in eternity when things are completely perfect. We're going to be worshiping in heaven, working in heaven, have friendships and relationships in heaven, completely being in the glory of God. And that's why I think it's so important for us on earth To fully understand and embrace our identity as children of God. Because when I die and I go to heaven, I'm not gonna be Pastor Rudy anymore. I'm gonna be Rudy, a son of God. They don't need pastors in heaven. They don't need evangelists in heaven. They don't need faith healers in heaven. They They don't need prophets in heaven. Everybody saved, healed, delivered, and restored. But there are some things that we may continue to do in heaven. But we need to know our identity, we need to be prepared. We need to be expecting with excitement what we will encounter while we're in heaven. You know, the next couple months uh, for my family, we're going to partake in a couple trips. In the middle of March, I get to go out to California and pray for me. Ever since I left California, I never want to go back. (laughs) I feel like I crossed that border and I step into prison. I'm like, all my liberties and freedoms are being taken from me. (laughs) It feels so good crossing that line back into Texas. But we're going, uh, my grandfather, who was 85 years old, uh, recently passed away. So I get the honor of officiating his celebration of life. So we're going to head out there and on the way home, stop at the Grand Canyon, a place I've never been to, Gabriel's never been to. Then in May, uh, now being in the Foursquare Church, uh, we get to go to the National Foursquare Convention for the very first time. That's going to be in Orlando. And we have uh, worship leaders of ours who serve with us in California. Uh, They're from Miami. They now live up near Orlando. We're going to spend a day with them, go to Universal Studios. They have one of those swamp airboats, you know, where you cruise through like the Everglades. My wife thinks she's going to get me on one of those. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) we're going to do that and then stop by uh, Nikki's parents' home in Southeast Georgia on the way home. So we are literally in my little putt-putt of a Prius, we are going to go coast to coast on these trips. So even now you can imagine the preparation, making sure the tires are good, making sure the car is serviced. What are we going to pack? What are we going to need? What's the weather like? What hotels have we booked? Where do we want to stay? Who are we going to see while we're there? Planning, 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 planning. So you can imagine if we're doing this for something as simple as a road trip, how much more energy should we be putting forth and where we're going to spend all of eternity? It's not just wait and see what happens. We have a command from God to bring souls with us, to partner with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have this amazing thing to look forward to in heaven that we could be preparing for. There's so much to look forward to. And right now we're in the middle of the story. We're absolutely in the middle of the story. Heaven's timeline, you could see in the first three chapters of Genesis and the last couple chapters in Revelation. In Genesis, God created the Garden of Eden where there was no sorrow, no shame, no sickness, no separation, no sin. It was literally heaven on earth. And they walked with God in the cool of the day. That's how it should have been. And that's how it should have stayed. But we know that the original sin, Adam and Eve, they sin and welcome sin and death and confusion and destruction into our world. I really wonder when we get to heaven, if Adam is just going to be right behind St. Peter and be like, you know, from the bottom of my heart. My bad, my bad. I'm sorry. Like, you know, like, can you imagine every soul that comes up like, man, this could have been so much easier if it wasn't for you, brother. You know, But they ruined it. And so we're in the, this church age. We're in the middle, the middle of the story, preparing for what God is going to do with the new heavens and a new earth and completely restore it to how it should have been. But it can never be ruined again. For all eternity, we're going to be with him. So we have much to look forward to. Uh, in in heaven, we're going to see past loved ones. We're going to have relationship. There's recognition. Even though there is no giving of marriage, we are going to be married, bride of Christ. There will be a marriage. We get to see past loved ones. There's going to be relationships. I mean, it's, it's going to be a perfect world of peace. And again just being the foodie that I am. I loved it in Revelation 22 and also in, in Matthew 8, 11, It says that we will dine at the table, the, the marriage supper of the lamb. In, in Matthew 8, it says that we will sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine having a conversation with these Bible heroes? Can you imagine asking Mary how, how she managed to raise the savior of the world, you know, and not freak out over that pressure? You know, and... Excuse me for the, the cheesiness of this, but I think my humor is still going to carry in heaven. And if I'm sitting at the table and grubbing on the food and, and I'm going to do stuff like, uh, uh, hey, Moses, uh, can you pass the manna? And he's going to kind of roll his eyes because he's sick and tired of that, you know. And, and I'm going to look at my chicken and, and look at the prophet Elisha and say, hey, it's um, it's not fully to temperature and fully cooked. Uh, Can you, uh, you know, rain down some fire? You know, just get this thing a little bit more charred. He's going to roll his eyes at me. Uh, I'm going to look at Lot and say, hey, can you please pass the salt? (laughs) Don't get offended. Don't get offended. I'm going to get in trouble in heaven. I already know it. (laughs) But so much we get to encounter and experience. And and I want to break down uh, just a, a few things that I know for a fact we will do in heaven. So this is in your bulletin. If you're taking notes. Please fill out, number one, we will worship in heaven. We will worship in heaven. And I'm just going to read to you really quickly. You don't have to turn there. In Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 verses 5 through 7 says, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of a mighty uh, peals of thunder saying, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. We get to worship in in heaven. And it's not that for 24-7, for all eternities, we're going to be on our faces and on our bellies just worshiping him. There's going to be parts of that. But I think many people fear that heaven is going to be a nonstop church service. And some of us, like me, a pastor, love church services. Some of us are checking our our clocks and trying to think of what we're going to have for lunch and, like, am I going to do that for all eternity? No, we're going to worship God, but we're going to worship him in multiple different aspects of what worship is all about. But the main thing is that the main thing is Jesus. And even though we are blessed with so much in heaven, the greatest thing we're going to have is to be face-to-face with him and to be able to worship him for all of eternity. And I say that it takes an infinite time to fully understand God. It's going to take all of eternity. I think that's why heaven is so long, because we're going to learn in heaven. We're going to grow in heaven, progress in heaven. And as we're worshiping God, we're going to learn more about him. And it's going to take all eternity to fully wrap our minds and hearts around who God is in his fullness. I heard one pastor say that, you know, the, the angels, they bow down and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty all day long, every single day, over and over again. Like, how does that not get old? Well, the reason it doesn't get old, I believe, is that every time the angels bow down, they say, holy, holy, holy. They raise back up and see the father again and they get a new revelation of who he is. And it causes them to cry out again. Can you imagine That that God is so in depth of his love and his power and his majesty and, and his sovereignty and all his character that we can literally bow down and worship him, come back up, learn something new about him, bow down again for all eternity, growing and learning and worshiping him. We have so much to look forward to, but we get to walk into the fullness of joy, a new earth, like a garden of Eden all over again that'll never get ruined, where we get to walk with God in the cool of the day to hear his voice, to to share stories with him, and most importantly, to worship him and to grow in him. Number two, not only will we worship in heaven, but we will work in heaven. We will work in heaven. And how do I know that? Well, in John chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus says, my father is always at his work, and I too am always working. So if God is currently in heaven working, we can assume that you and I will be working as well. You and I can assume that there is work to be done while we're there. And, you know, work is not a curse. I know some of us think it is, you know, as we're staring in that cubicle and there's hump day and there's TGIF and it seems like a chore. I completely understand that. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. But the work in heaven is a glorified work. It's not this drudgery and, and painful experience. Because we see that Adam was punished by having to work and toil and take care of the land. But see, work was given to him before the curse. So Adam was commissioned to work and to, to till the ground and to serve in the garden and to expand the kingdom of God to be fruitful and to multiply. He was given an assignment of work before the curse even came. So we can assume that when we get to heaven, there will be something that we get to do. And uh, again, it's going to be this, this place that we love and enjoy and, it, and it's something that we delight in. Some pastors have said that the work, the job, so to say, that you have in heaven is currently what you love to do. So I don't know what I'm going to do in heaven because I know I'm going to be unemployed. So I got to pick a new hobby. Maybe I'll be a football player. I don't know, you know. I know there will be football in heaven except for the New England Patriots. They're going to be in a <laughs> different place if you know what I mean. But <laughs> we will have this job. And, you know, they say that if you, if you enjoy 70, 72% of your job, you'll never work a day in your life. of pure joy and satisfaction we're going to have in our job in heaven. And, you know, some earthly jobs will get translated to heaven. Some carpenters will have carpentry work in heaven. You know, some artists will have artwork to do in heaven. You know, sorry if you're a nurse, you're going to be unemployed. Sorry if you're a preacher, you're going to be unemployed. You have to look for something new. But there, there is going to be something that is similar to what we get to do on earth. And we get to use that for the glory of God. So before there was a curse, there was work. And in heaven, even though everybody saved, healed, and delivered, there's a work we're going to do in this resurrected, remade earth. And then finally, point number three, not only will we worship, we will work in heaven, but we will live in wonder of heaven. We will grow in the understanding of God. And let me read to you again in Psalm chapter 33. It should be in your notes as a reference, but Psalm 33.8, 33, eight. I stumbled upon this just the other day, and I thought it was so fitting towards the end of the message here today. Psalm 30, oh, I'm sorry, 33. I apologize. I only have two ribbons in my Bible, so whenever I freestyle and go to a different spot that I don't have a rib, ribbon, it takes me a while. Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nation. He frustrates the plans of the people. And the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans in his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This is standing in awe. The standing in awe. So before we even transition into heaven, I believe that the greatest commandment we can have in our heart, other than to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love other people in the same way, is to live with this great awe and expectation of what heaven is going to be like. I encourage you and I challenge you, let God's love and his presence be the thing that fuels you to keep your eyes fixated on things above and not on the things below here in this world. And to conclude, before I pray here, uh, I've been on several missions trips, and I love my home. I love quiet. I'm a natural introvert. So when God calls me to the mission field for a small amount of time, it really is a sacrifice of praise because I don't want to be there. I love serving, but I, I don't like to be away from home. I don't like to be in a place of unknown uncertainties and so forth. So I remember one time going to Central America for a missions trip. I remember that I got on a plane and flew from San Diego all the way to Miami had a five-hour layover, then got on a plane from Miami to Managua, Nicaragua. And from that entire journey from leaving my house in San Diego to getting on a bus after fighting, with, well, after having to bribe customs uh, to allow us to keep our CDs and our Bibles and our materials, that whole process from leaving my house to stepping into the hotel in Nicaragua was 24 hours. And I don't know if you can sleep on a plane. I can't. Uh, you know, I've had several surgeries in my ear. It's very painful. I can't sleep on a plane. I don't even try anymore. So we were on a red eye flight, and I stayed up the entire night. So it's been 24 hours, barely any food, a lot of frustration, a lot of travel. And I don't know if you're like me, but if I don't get enough sleep, I'm like a toddler who forgot their nap, and uh, it's not pretty. It's pretty pathetic. So I'm just sitting there like, I gotta be here for two weeks. I'm away from my family. I don't know if you've ever been to Costa Rica or Nicaragua. It is hot. You think Texas is hot? Texas is a cool breeze compared to the the heat that's over there. And I'm just, you know, letting myself get in my mind and get discouraged. And I remember I had an iPad with me, and this was several years ago. But this hotel, praise God, had Wi-Fi. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So I went to the front desk. I got the password. And I remember sitting on this little bench in the lobby in this incredible heat. And I connect FaceTime to Nikki and to Gabe. I spent maybe five minutes just chatting, telling the story, telling about the best tamales I've ever had in my life in an airport. Oh, my Lord. And I'm just for five minutes. And I remember saying goodbye, you know, um, because the Wi-Fi was limited. And I slept the best night of sleep I've ever had in my life. I fell asleep with peace and with joy, and I felt connected to my family, even though they were 2,000 miles away. And I share that in a hopes of encouraging us that one day we're going to be in a place where we can only dream of. But for now, it's that future promise of heaven. It's that current promise of his presence that should be the thing that relaxes us, gives us peace in the middle of all of life's storms. I pray that we keep heaven before us constantly, you can't be so heavenly-minded that you are of an earthly good because you're blessing others and wanting to take them with you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this precious promise we have in you that for a little while we may experience suffering, for a little while we may be going through the torments of the sin, that this ripple effect from the original, but thank you for the promise we have. Thank you that we are healed and protected and guided by you, filled of your Holy Spirit having your presence ever before us. Thank you that we can cry out to you and from heaven you hear us and can speak to us. Thank you for the word of God that sharpens us and encourages us. And now as we continue to navigate through uh, just the joy of discovering more of heaven, I pray that my friends here would become more excited, that joy would be increased in their heart, knowing and understanding and revisiting what it's gonna be like to be in your arms and in your presence for all eternity as we begin a new week with work, with education, with chores, with sporting events, and all the things that we need to do as good stewards of our time and what you have blessed us with, we pray that we would still keep the presence of God as the foremost and and just the absolute priority, but that our hearts would be fixated on heaven, that it would edify us and build us up and let joy increase in our hearts. So bless my friends as we begin a new week, May we go in your favor. May we go in your love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're going to be part of our altar workers meeting, we'll meet shortly in the fellowship hall. And if you're not, have a blessed Sunday. And uh, go go Rams. Go Rams. Go Rams. Be blessed, family.